0: Welcome to a Story That Works podcast, where we're going to write stories, share our work, and show you that if you want to write, all it takes is figuring out your own process. So go do the work, get your stories on the page, and confidently share them. Hi, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Caitlin. And we're going to read you our stories this week. But first, we wanted to talk about the hot topic of Twitter. Is it
1: a Hot Topic? I don't know. Is it? I know. I love Hot Topic. <laughs> like, all my clothes from there.
0: Uh, I started watching a, a course on drawing, and it showed me that the Twitter logo is made up of all circles. So, you know, that was interesting. Totally not Hot Topic, but... Even the beak? Yeah, like everything is concentric like overlying circles of different sizes that you then color in certain parts of it. And even the beak, every single part of it is made from perfect circles. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. It's crazy. I think it's cool. Anyway, let's Anyways. <laughs> let's talk about Twitter and in particular like the writing community side
1: of Twitter. What do you yes. what do you think about that?
0: You've joined in and then left Twitter. Twitter a couple times, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I have. I think that for me, Twitter is fun when, like, people are paying attention to me.
0: Isn't that the case for everybody?
1: Well, I don't know. I don't think that social media comes very naturally to me I mean maybe Instagram I don't know but
0: I feel like Instagram doesn't have like Instagram to me is like a I'm gonna catalog my life and if people want to pay attention they can yeah you know like I know some people use like the bookstagram and they create these really beautiful pictures and they get very large followings you know like if you're a bachelor or bachelorette contestant like you can sell stuff on Instagram and make money as a as an influencer quote-unquote Which I'm sure you can also maybe, I feel like Instagram is probably the better place to do that.
1: Twitter is just like, Twitter is such a black hole sometimes. Like I crawled back to Twitter in last January and was just like, hi, please pay attention to me. I'm a writer. And I got just a crazy, exciting, like lovely response.
0: And I tried that and
1: didn't. (laughs) Yeah, which is the thing. It's like the frustrating thing. It's like it's all algorithms. So like if you it's a lot of it is like the time of day, but it's also luck and like what is appearing in in place of what what you're trying to get out there and what people are actually seeing. Mm -hmm. So and like and the writing community just keeps expanding on Twitter, which is great. But there's just more and more people and it's hard to filter out Yeah, who to what follow you and, see who, not see and you. who sees you and that kind of thing. For sure.
0: I see a lot of people that'll say like, I only have five hundred followers. Let's get me to a thousand. Yeah. And
1: I'm like, I have three hundred and I don't
0: need to beg people to follow me.
1: Well, I think that whole thing is very interesting because I don't believe anyone who says that they don't truly, truly don't care about their follower count. Because I mm-hmm. fully agree that you're like the quality of your followers I mean it's just like your friends you know it's quality mm-hmm. or quantity but
0: unless you get the like little blue check mark I feel like you're following for a follow back
1: or you oh, follow yeah. people
0: who follow you in which case mm-hmm. you're padding your follower list with a bunch of people that you're now not paying attention to and not interacting with and how does that help you because technically speaking like twitter doesn't sell books yeah so if you're gonna you know go that way then then you're not really spending your time very
1: well and it is a time suck it's very I mean there are some people who are really good at it and like there are there are some indie authors who I follow on there who like really really own Twitter um but it does take it takes a lot of time and commitment and distraction and like you have to be unique and you have to have new ideas all the time and like everybody's got something to say and I just think of it, I feel like it gets exhausting because there's a lot of, like, requests for validation. And there's a lot of people who just, like, get up on their high horse. And I'm just not really interested in, like, any sort of declaration of uniqueness. Like, am I the only one not watching Game of Thrones? It's like, right? no. Like, I and I don't. And I didn't No one cares. about it. Because, yeah, nobody gives a shit. But I don't know. I just feel like as a writer... It was really fun when people were paying attention to me, but it didn't make me write more. Like, it didn't make me write better. I feel like my writing actually suffered because I was like, okay, I'm going to write of 2,000 words just so I can tweet about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm not very good at making connections online just because I'm just not...
0: I don't know. If, well, maybe not like connections. My perception was, or my perspective, I guess, was that you're really good with like the quirky here I am kind of stuff. Like, you're not afraid to share things about you, but things that you're not, like, it's a secret. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody, like, the depths of my soul kind of a thing. Yeah. Which I thought, like, the quirkiness really worked well. Whereas I've seen you in person in a, around a group of people. And you and I connected really great. I thought you were awesome. But you're definitely an introvert in those kind of situations. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. I dominated conversations and I wanted to yeah be like, hey, you should – show them how awesome you are, whereas you seem to do that better on Twitter online.
1: Yeah, but I just, like, I ne- I haven't, like, met anyone mm-hmm. on Twitter. Like, I don't like, – a lot of people are, like, my writer friends and getting beta readers and whatnot. I'm just, like, not good at – I don't like messaging back and forth. I don't like waiting for replies. Like, I just don't like any of that. And I don't know if that's, like, a detriment because – you know, being an author is so much more than just writing a book and getting it published. Like, you have to consistently interact with your readers and fellow authors and f- online.
0: I sort of feel like it's this weird space where it's like texting, which you also don't like very much, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're texting people, but you're not texting people you're actually friends with, you're texting people online. Right? So it's right. even a step further from that. So it's asking even more of you. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't pay attention to finding, like, readers or, or finding people who would be interested in you. But I think there are better ways to do that without exhausting yourself or making your writing suffer, I guess.
1: Yeah. I've just always kind of found that my personality doesn't transfer well into text. mm Just because I'm very like blunt and sarcastic and I feel like, I feel like when I like write messages to people who don't know me and understand that, like I have to put like 57 exclamation points and like 47 smiley face emojis to just be like, hey, I'm not a dick. Like I'm just.
0: (laughs) You and I have a good like uh, emoji thing. Like we, we, we get it. We're on the same. Yeah. But I feel the same way. I come up off. I come across very bitchy in. Yeah. Like unintentionally and I guess that's probably more in the like online dating space that I mm-hmm. you know just come across as I, I just don't have time for your shit like I have a very low tolerance for people who are gonna come on and and
1: be idiots but I don't know. Yeah. There's just a lot of I find like I mean Twitter is very encouraging to and like for some people that's really great but I'm just I don't know I've never really found a lot of comfort and being encouraged by people who like don't know me Mm -hmm. you know because it's like well you're everyone's on there like keep writing keep writing like you need to hear this and I'm like like you don't know my writing Right. You know, like, how do you know that I should keep writing? Maybe I should give up. (laughs) Like, maybe that's a horrible thing to think. But it's just, like, this generic blanket encouragement, which some people absolutely need. Mm -hmm. But I don't find comfort in it. And I do get caught up in, like, the negativity. Like, there's just always drama. Mm -hmm. And, like, someone is always off saying something stupid. And then people, like... Run well, them out of town. There's such
0: a negative, I guess, like cesspool brewing beneath Twitter. And the thing is, is we're very quick to judge, quick to jump down throats, and then quick to forget about it.
1: Right. You know, like, And it's all easy to do because you can hide.
0: 100%. You're, you're a, an avatar. You are not, like, you're your picture online. You're not you in person. Like, you would never do that to somebody in real life. You know, right. I'm not saying go be a dick or say bad things about people because don't, like, be a decent person, you know, like, don't tell me who to love or what gender I should call myself or that that things are diverse written by white people because they're written in a different style. Like, that's not the way the world works, but, like, we also – I think, can be forgiving of people and, I don't know, respectful, I guess. It just feels like Twitter isn't the place to do that. And in some yeah. ways, it's great because it brings
1: issues to light, and in other mm-hmm. ways, it is just very much not. <laughs> well, there's always that thing about, like, something has happened and it has sparked a debate on Twitter, and it's like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, what's your point? People are going to forget about it and, like, 12 hours and how much can you really accomplish in a debate on twitter right and like twitter is very useful it's i feel like in a lot of ways it's a necessary evil but it's also very useful i don't know it just i wish it just didn't exist personally because i feel like i get caught up in the idea of like people being interested in what i have to say Mm -hmm. and then i get really disappointed when they're not and it's not even that they're not I feel like Or they're not seeing it or whatever But really I should just be Sitting down and writing Mm -hmm. And focusing on that
0: I feel like it's almost an easier thing to think about Because writing is I mean it's not just Sit down and every day is perfect And I get my writing done And it comes out perfectly every time Like there's a lot to it And so coming up with a marketing strategy Or a Twitter strategy Like is easier to kind of consider And you can really get lost in that yeah that's not to say that there aren't benefits to it I have connected with people I have felt seen in a lot of different ways but you also have to take it with a grain of salt because you're not really being seen you're being seen for this online persona and there's just a weird it's a weird place I feel like on the internet yeah it's very it's like a fine line Mm mm-hmm I actually don't even mind that it exists. Like, I think it's really cool to be able to see certain tweets and, I don't know, like, especially from authors who are well-established who are coming on and saying, I'm struggling with writing this book or here's my tips and tricks for editing mm-hmm. a scene or, you know, those kinds of things I think are, are actually helpful and very encouraging. I think the what really gets me are the people who come on and say, I got one rejection today. Tell me I'm awesome, Twitter. And you're just like... If you need validation mm-hmm. after one rejection, JK Rowling got rejected over twenty times. Same. So <laughs> you gotta grow some tough skin and I think it's a like I wanna go on and tell people that. I like and not just in a
1: hey, people are like, like, Tell me I'm amazing and you're like, No. <laughs>
0: No, but I don't mean like I want to be bitchy. Like I just, I want to tell people the truth about things. Like for example, I saw a post about people saying, it's so hard to find time to write. And my immediate response is, well, you're not going to find time to write. You have to make time to write. And mm-hmm. and then people come back and say, well, I have 13 children and four jobs. And I'm like, you know what? We're all humans. You know, I don't live that experience, but I've got my own shit to deal with. And you're making excuses. <laughs>
1: Which I, <laughs> I mean yeah
0: I mean, wow. which may mean like make I might be coming across as very intolerant of that, but what I mean to say is we make choices and that you have to take responsibility for your life, and Twitter is a very easy place to sort of go and make complaints and not really like follow through or do anything about it, mm-hmm. And I, I like it. I'm not going to step off Twitter no matter how many times I tried to tell my sister when it came out that I wasn't going to get it. <laughs> I did and here we are and I have it and I like it and it does certain things very well. But it's also very easy to go on and just get really angry and tied yeah. into the news.
1: I think you have to like, if you're going to be active on Twitter, you have to allow yourself to like step away. hmm but I always think it's really funny when people are like, hey, sorry, I've been inactive. And I'm like, who are you? Yeah.
0: Like, I, you, you've been inactive? It's like, if you
1: need to be inactive, that's fine. You don't have to apologize for it. Like, Right. Like, and I didn't Twitter even keeps notice. keeps kicking without you.
0: Yeah. I feel like you feel like you need to when you have a certain number of followers. Yeah. But then you forget that they're not real. Like, unless you're making genuine connections and con- having conversations with people, Nobody really notices. And that's sort of, I guess, the tragic, like, kind of heartbreaking part of it all is you think that you're making connections and you're getting this validation, but it's not. It doesn't really help you. And I could see why that would upset a lot of people and that could be very draining to your energy. Yeah. It's all just,
1: I don't know. Yeah. It's not, it's not my, it's not my favorite thing.
0: But you still use it. I mean, are you going to come off of it and quit again? No, i I just, I don't know. It seems we'll to me see. th- that like Twitter is the the sort of you have to have Twitter if you're an author kind of a thing. Yeah, like ha- I think, like, I, think I agree. Are you? Are I mean, are you even on Facebook? Me? Yeah. Are you on
1: Facebook? I, ha- I have a Facebook. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, you know, I've gotten mine and then deleted it and then gotten it again. Yeah, a couple of times. Feels like yeah. <laughs> sort of feels like it doesn't matter if you're on Facebook or not. And Instagram is great, but it's more of, like, a person. It's not, like, professional, so to speak. It's probably more personal.
1: Well, I guess, I mean, not for not for authors, but I, I guess, I don't know. I feel like Instagram is just super, like, a powerhouse these days. I mean, you can make your whole living off of Instagram, but. Yeah.
0: Well, it's not tied to Facebook. That's a different ball of wax, but. It is. It is. It, like, if you had to, if you could only pick one social media to be on, like, which one would you? Instagram. Yeah. i get a i just i don't know i like instagram is there any point where you would say i'm gonna get off twitter and get off facebook and only be on instagram
1: no because i feel like they all serve their i think that like it's fine to have all these platforms but i feel like you need to choose one and two at the most to really focus on Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna have a consistent presence on twitter or snapchat or i don't even know if people still like have a I don't know. Yeah, but... I don't. <laughs>
0: but yeah, no, I understand. I totally agree that you cannot you do everything. Yeah. yeah, you can't do everything in a day. You can't be on all social media. You have to pick and choose what's going to mm-hmm. be most beneficial. Like I know somebody, and or well, he <laughs> he is on Facebook and uses it really well. Like he will read a book and enjoy it and message like the author or the author fan page or whatever and just no intentions nothing you know no hidden messages or whatever he will just say I loved this book you did this thing really well and he's made a ton of connections that way and done a bunch of author interviews because of that and so I think it's all about strategy in terms of like what can you mentally handle and what's gonna allow you to connect with the most people because I feel like that's what social media is created for is making connections like it allows for connections without having to be face to face which yeah. is the missing element but that's a whole mother wormhole wormhole is that a word it didn't sound right it is now okay <laughs> we should read yeah we should you're right okay again i don't have a title but here's my story the man who was decidedly not Stuart kriegelman smiled to himself as he floated around the anti-gravity chamber. Everyone had said it was stupid to bring popsicles as his one and only personal item out to space. They said the frozen treat didn't constitute something personal and that no one could guarantee someone else wouldn't eat them all up before he even got one. But he was good at hiding things and had a knack for bringing more than he was allowed. After six years and countless repairs throughout the entire station, he'd learned where to put something you didn't want to be found. That and various other skills that would be more or less useless when he quit this job to move on to the next. And he was due to quit soon. The way the slush melted away from the stick, dripping off into its own floating blob of colored sugar water, was enough to convince him he'd made the right decision. Paging Stuart Kriegelman to the engine room, Stuart Kriegelman, you are needed for a repair in the engine room. He knew they were referring to him. After six years of being called the previous engineer's name, he responded to it considered himself part owner of the name, tried to live up to the title. In fact, he was certain they'd call the next engineer by some version of his name as poetic justice of sorts, that he'd eventually be remembered and missed, but that was only because he didn't want to consider the alternative. Believing that everyone who took the engineering job on Station 12 was doomed to be confused with someone else for all eternity made sense in his mind. If he didn't think about it too long. Stuart Kriegelman to the engine room, Stuart Kriegelman to the engine room. He slurped up the last of the sticky red juice and put his uniform jacket back on. Even if it was his last stint on Station 12, he'd be damned if he were late to a job. Wouldn't want to risk the next engineer's reputation his name would bestow. Pretty sweet game last night, eh, Stuart? Joe asked as not-stuart made his way to level four. Not-stuart nodded in reply, slung his work bag higher on his shoulder, grunted. Stuart? A little girl looked up to him, questioning. In her hand, she held a broken toy, one not Stuart recognized as a Lionel Robot XK-12. Not my name, he gave a gruff reply, walking faster towards the elevator. She followed, silent. The door shut, and he pushed the button for level four. He waited for her to push her own button. She didn't. When the elevator opened to level 4, a level no child had any business being on, she got off and followed him as he made his way to the engine room. He thought about telling her to find her parents, but somehow knew she wouldn't listen. He passed through the doors using his security badge, and she snuck through behind him, an expert sleuth he already knew was shadowing his every move. Mr. Kriegelman, you're 3.6 seconds late. We have a bit of an emergency that needs your attention. A voice from the loudspeaker crackled at him as he entered the engine room. Figures they wouldn't come meet me to talk through the problem. The thermostat regulator for levels 12 through 16 is acting up. It needs to be reset, inspected for issues, and recalibrated. We thank you to make this your top priority. He looked at one of the video cameras and gave, gave a thumbs up. Oh, and Mr. Kriegelman, we ask that you don't bring your personal matters to work. We'll have to dock you a few credits for the girl. See that she's taken care of and removed from our secure facilities as soon as you've finished. Not Stewart nodded, not looking at the camera this time. He knew he'd get flack for her, but what was he to do? Physically restrain her from following him? He wasn't sure he knew how, and definitely didn't want that responsibility hanging over his head. Without another word, Not Stewart got to work. He took apart the thermostat, carefully inspecting all pieces. Having replaced a faulty wire on another a couple weeks ago, he identified the problem in no time and switched out the parts. The girl was silent the whole time. Not Stewart had never seen a child so well-behaved, so non-demanding of attention. Even the heat and loud noises of the engine room didn't faze her. He almost didn't hear when she asked, "'What's your name?' "'Makes you so sure you can't just call me Stewart.' He finished up the calibration and dropped the rest of his tools into his bag, slung it over his shoulder and turned to go." You don't like it. He paused, not sure how she knew that, considered the buzzing fluorescent light overhead and looked down at the girl clutching her broken toy. Come with me. She fell into step behind him, once more silent. Together they walked to the anti-grav chamber, stopping along the way to pick up a couple popsicles from one of his many hiding places. Don't go telling anyone these are here. She nodded solemnly, and he knew she would keep his secret. Not Stewart left his bag and jacket outside the chamber. The girl refused to leave her toy unattended. They floated inside, the big windows giving them a perfect view of the stars. What are we doing here? The girl tried to watch, not Stuart, but she bounced around the chamber from one end to the next, trying to hold in her giggles. He took out the popsicles and unwrapped them, put the trash in its disposal on the wall. He floated over to her, careful to put the stick in her hand, and demonstrated his favorite techniques to eat in zero gravity. The popsicle slowly melted and the two floated around the room trying to catch the sugared slush before it hit the walls or escaped their grasp. The girl squealed in delight, letting Lionel slip from her grasp as she slurped up the sticky goo. Not Stewart quickly ate his own, ignoring his own rituals, and picked up the broken robot. He tinkered away with a few spare parts he kept in his pockets. When she finished, she looked up at him, smiled twice its normal size. That was fun. Sure was, kid. He handed back Lionel as they exited the chamber, grabbed his jacket and work bag, ready to attend to his next appointment. She looked at him, eyes big. Thank you. Name's Stanley, kid. You can call me Stan. Stan? She skipped off, hand in hand with Lionel beeping out at her. His own smile hardly contained, even when Joe caught up to ask Stuart for a favor. The end.
1: Your turn. When I was young, so very young, I married a king. No one placed a crown upon his head when the minister pronounced us man and wife beneath the towering chapel of the church his mother insisted we have the ceremony in. There was no coronation when he said I do, aside from the soft light show in my chest as his blazing diamond slid onto my finger. He was already a king, already crowned, long before I walked towards him in my white gown. It was I who felt the first sensation of royalty, the budding existence of the power that bled from the space he took up in the world. We danced to a frantic piano that night, and he guided me towards his throne. But I did not become his queen. I watch him now with that same hungry atmosphere that surrounds him, just as regal as he always was. Our backyard is a dramatic splash of colors, streamers hanging between trees and bright red tablecloths covered in confetti clashing with the saturated green of the freshly mowed lawn. Balloons sway beneath the sunlight, exactly 100 of them all holding the ruins of my breath. The king works the crowd, weaving between sets of parents as the kids finish their second and third helpings of pizza. He offers them drinks, winks at the wives, gives that firm handshake of his to the husbands. In his starch white shirt and midnight sunglasses, he knows how to intimidate them while making them crave his attention. He speaks of golf, of summer, of whatever the hell he wants. The man can make even the most mundane topics sound captivating, and they flock to him for it. He's everything to them, someone they strive to be. Someone they marvel at when they see their own reflection in his glasses. And every man to every one, except me. I move throughout the party, gathering empty plates and refilling coolers with ice and beer. My eyes dart to my king every handful of seconds, unable to ignore how each person he interacts with hangs off his smile. The men envy his gym-trained body, his full head of hair. The women envy me. I feel it in the way their practiced expressions falter when they think I've stopped paying attention. Heat settles just beneath the surface of my skin as my king flashes his white teeth at Mrs. Williams, the second-grade teacher. "'Mom!' And there they are, my princes. They run to me, my gorgeous sons, their eyes wide and skin flushed with the thrill of the day. This party is everything my oldest wanted for his birthday, an event planned with the same precision as my own wedding. I've poured every spare moment into the details of personalized party favors for the kids and appropriately portioned cocktails for the parents. It is perfect, and pride swells in my bones when I see it on their faces. Is it time for cake yet? The birthday boy asks. Everyone keeps asking. Well, I say as if there's anything for me to ponder. I suppose we shouldn't keep them waiting then. I'll be right out. Get everyone together so we can sing. He's nearly bouncing with excitement, grabbing his young brother's hand to go spread the news. The king follows me into the kitchen. It's a big hit out there, he says, resting his lips against my forehead. I lean into his touch for only a moment. No one will be able to top your party all year. I smile because even now my body awakens at the sound of his approval. Is the cake in the fridge, I ask. It's wherever you put it. What? I didn't put it anywhere. Didn't you pick up the cake like I asked you to? You didn't ask me to. Oh Jesus, Sarah, tell me you didn't forget the cake. A sparkling panic bursts behind my eyes and I throw open the refrigerator door. Nothing. Shit, he says, are you kidding me? You forgot the damn cake. Everything shifts. His eyes take on a darkness, his shoulders tighten, his voice falls into gravel. It's a shift I know all too well, and I let the door swing shut with a soft hiss. I know I did not forget the cake. The certainty ricochets off the borders of my mind. It was my job to pick up the pizzas, decorate the backyard, clean the pool, fill the punch bowls, but the cake was my husband's duty, the solitary item on his list of responsibilities. He knows this just as as well as I do, for I have become fluent in the open interpretations behind every frigid glare he curates just for me. He knows this was his doing." and he knows I will take his blame without protest. "'It's not here,' I say stupidly because those are the only words my mind can remember. "'I can see that. "'What are we going to do, Sarah? "'There are 15 kids out there ready for that cake. "'There has to be something we can give them,' I blurt out. "'There better be.' Frantic, I bury my hands in the freezer, "'digging like a dog in hopes to at least find "'some half-eaten ice cream "'that can salvage this impending disaster. "'I can hear the building anticipation outside.' I pull out an old, ripped box of popsicles, purchased at the beginning of summer and forgotten immediately after. The boys said the flavors were awful, wondering why anyone would want to eat something that tasted like banana or root beer or grape. Everything inside me leaps and plummets all at once. It won't be enough. Here, I say, holding up the box, but he simply marches out of the room. My children barrel in seconds later. The birthday boy's eyes travel from the empty countertop to the pathetic box in my trembling hands. Where's my cake, he asked, his voice laced with suspicion. The king stands behind them now, arms crossed. Mom forgot to pick it up. But don't worry, we have popsicles. What? Don't worry, the king says. She'll make it up to you. My oldest son's features have become such a gut-wrenching reimagining of the king's This being that I carried inside my body, who used to hang off my hips and cry when I was out of sight, looks at me now with soft poison in his eyes, planted there with such subtle precision by his father. The disdain settles in so casually, as though I was never meant to be anyone's queen, but rather an uncooperative housekeeper to be chastised for my misstep. My husband's manipulation is gentle, like a caressing suggestion that has shifted the tide of my household in his favour, which has unceremoniously placed me in an internal opposition." Here I am, standing before a restless line of seven-year-olds, holding a box of freezer-burnt popsicles as my husband watches from the far side of the kitchen. He boasts a twisted satisfaction when the other parents walk in to see the brilliant cake I bragged about just yesterday reduced to this sad display. This sucks, one of the kids says as he unwraps a sicky yellow popsicle. He makes a face that suggests he's looking at something horrific. This is the point where I make a choice where I stand in the middle of this kitchen and scream every lie that lives within these walls or burn the walls down altogether and the house and the party and the balloons along with it. This is where I get in the car and drive a million miles in the opposite direction of everything looking at me in the face in this moment. This is the turning point, isn't it? Before the party ends and the guests leave and I have nothing but a king's wrath to greet me on the other side of the evening, I could run. I could, I could, I could, but I don't. The children look up at me in poorly contained disappointment, and my heart takes up residence in the blackness of my gut. It was a lovely party, Sarah, one of the mothers, tells me as everyone finally files out of my home. Don't worry about the cake. There's always next year. I smile, my face all but cracking when the door closes behind her. The king waits for me, waits until the children fall asleep and the house quiets into night. He waits, and when it's time, I, no one's queen at all, take my place before his throne.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of A Story That Works. For all the past episodes, the show notes, or to connect, visit astorythatworks.com. If you'd like to support the show, click subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. As always, keep writing.